Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. All right. Thank you for joining us for today's um, episode of the Church and Culture Podcast. Um, I'm joined today and every week by Dr. James Emery White, and he is here to help us think Christianly about what's going on in our present day culture. Now, if you tuned in a few weeks ago, um, we were talking about some of the corruption that has come to light within some well-known Christian institutions. And we focused that episode on how we might respond to moral failings, how the church might respond to that. But there's been something else that a lot of the these recent, particularly sexual misconduct scandals, both in and outside of the church, to be fair, has exposed is the lack of female voices in positions of authority. Um, women most often in these news stories are playing the role of a victim, being powerless to stand up for themselves because they don't want to lose their job or be ridiculed or shamed um, by others, even other women. This is obviously a much lengthier conversation than we can do justice to in 20 to 30 minutes, but we're going to hold up a magnifying glass to one corner of this conversation, and that is um, women's representation, particularly within the church, Um, because I feel like this egregious sexual misconduct has really, um, that's been surfacing in the last decade or so, has um, really resurrected this very lengthy feud, this egalitarian, complementarian feud. I know, Jim, I'm going to turn that over to you in a second to um, shed some light on um, what that's all about. But now what's different is that more women are weighing in on this conversation than ever before, which has been a great addition. Questions are being raised as to the role of Christian theology in perhaps putting women in vulnerable positions, what the Apostle Paul, which is truly saying about women in ministry, and how might having more women in leadership positions within the church not only honor their calling, but also set the stage for women's voices to be more welcome and to be more trusted. So, okay, that was a mouthful. Um, Jim, can you start by giving a breakdown as to the difference between egalitarian and complementarian theology? Yeah, obviously, uh, multiple volumes have been written on that, answering that question. Uh, But let me give you a succinct answer that is on, you know, on the front end, um, uh, you know, it's it's pithy, but it gets to the heart of it. Uh, egalitarians are people who believe in uh, women's equality, but with no distinctions in terms of roles. Complementarians believe in equality, but with distinctions in roles. And particularly with both of those groups, roles within the life of the church. So, for example, an egalitarian would have no problem with a woman serving as senior pastor, for example, whereas complementarian would say, well, we're all for women in ministry or women in equality, but uh, we don't think there are certain roles that they should fill because of um, an aspect of male authority that is in scripture. Now, despite how you may have, those those of you who are listening, despite how your like initial reaction to those definitions, I do think it's fair to say that um, both egalitarian and complementarian theology, they do elevate women's roles in a way that put quite frankly, several hundreds of years of Christian history to shame, which what's really ironic is I know you're going to talk about this in hopefully a moment, but Jesus did validate women in scandalous ways in the first century kind of patristic culture that he was a part of. And the early church really followed his example in being faithful to that same value. Um, but at some point, um, the tide eventually turned against, um, particularly within church practices and doctrine against women kind of demoting their spiritual authority. And for a long time, it was really with 
only within the monastic communities that women really had an outlet to be able to study scripture and to teach it to other women, hold any type of spiritual authority. So can you help us understand, like, if there is a biblical model of the value of a woman's role in the church, how, how did the church eventually shift from that? Well, I think that the church has a checkered history in how it's treated women, just like it has a checkered history in how it's treated um, people of different ethnicities and all kinds of things. I mean, we have our sin and the church is not immune to sin. When Jesus and the early Christian movement unleashed this, this, this radical treatment of women, it, we need to remember how radical it was. In the first century, uh, in Jewish uh, culture, uh, a woman was not even considered eligible to be a witness in a court. You could have 30 women witness something and their testimony was useless in a court. Why? They were women. There was a Jewish prayer at the time that men would pray that would say, thank you, God, I was not born a Gentile. Thank you that I was not born a woman. And thank you that I was not born a slave. And so that's where a woman was placed. The three things that you would pray that you were thanking God you were not born as. Um, and in the Greco-Roman society too, uh, for example, if you had a female baby, I mean, you could just leave the baby by the side of the street because they were not considered the worth of a male baby. And also it's well known that you could divorce a woman for anything. I mean, anything, uh, badly cooked breakfast. Uh, you didn't like, you weren't sexually attracted to her anymore. Um, whatever reason, and it would be devastating that woman to be divorced and left alone in that culture, but the man could go merrily along and, and get remarried. But women were just terribly mistreated. So the only thing that, uh, and again, um, I have not invested a, a lot of study in the progression of what happened in, after the first century forward in terms of specifically the role of women. That would not be an area of expertise of mine. But I do know enough to know that um, what you had during that period was the institutionalization of the church. And beginning with the conversion of Constantine in 310, and then it got more solidified with the sacking of Rome by the barbarian Alaric in the year 410. Of course, you had the crowning moment of Christendom when um, Pope Leo III crowned Charlemagne on Christmas Day in the year 800. And it, with the increasing institutionalization of the church, you have obviously um, the uh, bringing in and institutionalizing certain cultural patterns and even certain uh, patriarchal patterns and misogynist patterns. And, and so I think that the institutionalization of the church had a lot to do with it. Well, that kind of then brings us to where we're at now, right? Which is thankfully, you know, <laughs> scores um, away from, from not being divorced because you can't cook breakfast well, which I would never have made it as a wife in that case. But, <laughs> um, but now, you know, women are increasingly taking um, more of a prominent role in the workplace. They're pursuing callings outside of or in addition to the home. And much of culture lately has really been exposing that even though women have come or society has come a long way in the way that we view women, there are still a lot of inequalities and within the workplace. There's a lot of, um, of discrepancy in the way that women are treated or compensated for their work or whatever the case may be, and very present in a lot of these conversations about, okay, how can we do better, is the call to put women in more um, positions of leadership where they can be weighing in on, on, on more important decisions, where they can have a seat at the table, or they can have um, a title that designates them as somebody who can be as a trusted you know, source of authority. In fact, um, in response to their own um, kind of scandal within Christianity, Christianity Today, um, the CEO, Tim Dalrymple, when he was talking about it, he, was, he admitted that CT has not done a very good job of including women in leadership roles and that he was really committed to doing that. 
that forward, uh, moving forward. But that's, I think, where it can get a little bit sticky between a Christian organization and the church. Um, because while the universal church, as you said, would be really quick to affirm a women's wor worth and egalitarian and complementarians both do that. Um, depending on a local church's particular view about women in ministry, a woman could be told, I value you, but you can't have this job or you can't have this title. And the Bible says so. So that's what I want to explore next, I guess, is does the Bible say so? Like, where, where is that coming from? Sure. Well, first, let's uh, ground ourselves in how Jesus interacted and treated women and how he showed in clear ways his both his sensitivity and how he valued them. Uh, I, one of those uh, stories that I don't know that people maybe have reflected on sufficiently is the healing of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. In other words, she had a nonstop menstrual cycle. And you can only imagine, I mean, what that would have been like in that day um, in terms of it made her ceremonially unclean. It means that she could never go to atone for her sins or do anything with the temple because she could never get ceremonially unclean because you had to have a certain time period after a period ended before you could go. Um, and this was before feminine hygiene products. This was before you had to be isolated from other people. She could never marry. She could never have a child. I mean, it, the more you reflect on what you just say, oh, she was bleeding for 12 years. Well, reflect on that 12 years and what that must have done. And she was so scared to approach Jesus and touched him uh, on a cord on his, his raiment, and, uh, which was considered inappropriate to do. She, she, for a woman to touch uh, that part of a man's robe, not sexually inappropriate, just, you know, it was just not something you did unless you were familial and you were um, like a, a, someone connected to them relationally. And when he turned around and said, who touched me? And, and she, she almost like crawled out of the crowd. You can almost imagine, you know, how mortified she must have been. And um, because what she had plaguing her was not something that you would want to even be known public knowledge. And it's so touching that, that at that moment, the first thing he says out of his mouth is he calls her daughter. Um, like, so if anybody was scandalized by her approaching him or touching his robe, he just said, daughter, you know, and then he, he, it's so, and he, and he heals her and, and just shows, I just, and, 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 and it was such a sensitive, tender moment where he so seemed so dialed into women's issues and, and what it must've been like for this woman, because all these people were jostling around him and it was her, it was her that he um, wanted to seek out. Another moment is when um, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, first person he appeared to after the resurrection, he shows a woman. And it wasn't just that he chose a woman, but he tasked her to go tell the men. He tasked her to be the first evangelist to the resurrection. And again, this is when a woman wasn't even credible in a court of law, and he wanted her to be the witness. Uh, there was something pretty intentional about that. Um, and so you do have, have the elevation of women in, in, the, in the early church, but the, the heart of the matter, if someone were to say, well, the Bible says so about women, they're almost undoubtedly referring to 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says to Timothy, I do not permit a woman to teach men. Um, they must be silent. And, uh, and it's, it's the classic text that is argued over by complementarians and egalitarians. Uh, egalitarians say, you know, you're not parsing this correctly. Uh, um, complementarians say, no, we're just trying to flesh out and be biblical. So what does first Timothy say? Um, I, I, when I, whenever I teach this to my seminary students, 
and we walk through this for the in, in terms of because I always put it under the doctrine of ecclesiology, the doctrine of, of the church, ministry, as we talk about women in ministry. You're always looking for what's the universal and what's the cultural in some of these teaching passages. And it's very clear that Paul is, is giving a teaching rooted in creation, that there is order. There's order in the family. There's order in the church. And just like in the family, I've asked the man, the husband to be the leader uh, in the church. I've asked, you know, men are to be the leaders there as well. And that's rooted in the creation order. So that is a sense where we're talking about equal, equal with distinctions in terms of roles. Now, um, Paul's not saying, no, I don't want women to teach, because in other places, he says, when you teach, when you speak, and then he gives guidelines for that. So he wasn't saying there can't ever be speaking, there can't ever be teaching, there can't ever be leadership, there can't ever be women in ministry, because in other places, he speaks to that and affirms it and acknowledges it. And also people like Phoebe and Priscilla and Mary and Martha, I mean, they were functioning as leaders and teachers and speakers in the church. So we, we have to let the Bible inform it, let the scripture interpret scripture. So you have to look at all the teaching and, and instances, both narrative and didactic, dealing with women in the New Testament. So I think that helps us peel out a little bit here between the cultural and the universal. In Ephesus, uh, there was seemingly some sense that if a woman were to speak or to teach in a church setting for that culture, it meant having authority over men. Um, and so in that culture, that had overtones, just like there were certain things that had overtones in Corinth. This helps explain some of the things that Paul said about Corinthians and headdresses and things of that nature, which again was cultural, not universal. And so there's a very interesting thing here that when you look at the Greek word for the teaching with authority or the teaching, I don't permit a woman to teach. It's a very unique word for teach. It, it literally carried with it the idea of authority, teaching in such a way as to have authority in the church setting over men. Um, and Paul said, you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, let's not do that, particularly in Ephesus, <laughs> you know, and I, and I don't permit that for that. So don't do that. So I do think that that passage is can be parsed carefully, and uh, it's not a, a wooden dismissal of women in ministry at all, uh, or even women teaching, women leading. It's just that authority principle, and I'm not unique in reading it that way or parsing it that way. I, um, uh, someone wants what I would consider a very good treatment of this, even more depth than we can give it in this uh, particular format. Um, John Stott. John R.W. Stott's masterful exposition and exegetical work on uh, 1 Timothy is, uh, and this is where he lands as well, is extraordinarily well done. Now, with regards to what you were saying about the authority aspect of this, I, and excuse me if I don't have this exactly right, but would a complementarian then take that argument and say that women could teach but to other women? Is that kind of the, the practical implications of that in terms of the authority portion? You hear that. Um, I think that's a little uh, contrived. Um, but yes, that, that they like you're happy to teach other women or children in Sunday school or women's conferences. But, um, you know, famously, when uh, Billy Graham's daughter went to speak at a place, uh, all the men stood up and turned their backs on her. It was shameful treatment. And, you know, Beth Moore and others have experienced, you know, the, the what I would consider shameful treatment in the name of this, but, uh, no, it's just, it's just an authority thing, And, and, and it's, 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 it's scripture is just saying that somehow, some way we need to maintain this biblical order of creation in terms of somehow, uh, showing, um, you know, 
uh, acknowledgement of this authority principle. And so you can have women teaching and teaching men. It's just that are we setting everything up in a way that we're acknowledging and honoring somehow, some way, the authority? Okay, so let's kind of get into how that, how you have been able to apply that practically, because you had the honor of starting a church. So you really, you know, you didn't inherit a structure from anybody. You could take your theology on this and put it into practice as you, as you created Mecklenburg Community Church. So what does that look like for how you've developed um, leadership at Mech? I used to joke in the early years when I was teaching on this or be asked about it, I said, well, I, you know, at MEC, we do it in a way that pleases nobody. And, you know, because it's neither egalitarian or fully complementarian. It's, 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 it, I, I jokingly say, no, we're, we're biblical. <laughs> you know, we're doing it the biblical way. <clears throat> but so um, here's what we do at MEC to uh, flesh out the, uh, the authority principle that we do believe is in scripture rooted in creation. We have written that the senior pastor is male exclusive. And, uh, but having said that, women can teach, lead, function, pastor, be ordained uh, in any and every way. We're just tipping our hat uh, to um, the creation narrative and teaching of authority in terms of the home and the church. And we're just gonna say that under the leadership of a male senior pastor, um, that's that's where that is being that authority principle is being um, honored. But women, we feel biblically, and you know and all the reasons that I've been talking, we've been talking about, biblically can can chase any spiritual gift that God gives them, and they can lead and they can teach. And you are one of our main teaching uh, figures in our church. Uh, we have female trustees. We have uh, a robust presence, fifty percent or more of women on staff. Um, and, you know, pastoral leadership roles, uh, you know, and so um, we, we, uh, yeah, so we have, there's nothing that's off limits except the, the role of the, of the senior pastor. Yeah. Women can guess- be ordained. I mean, anything, if, you know, we're talking about, I've always said ordination is not the issue. It's ordained to what? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so, um, so, yeah. Well, so I guess with that said, since I do attend um, MEC as well, um, I guess in a spirit of transparency, because I think the transparent portion of this has been the most helpful part of a lot of these conversations as of late, um, MEC, you know, women... you're absolutely right. I serve in a teaching role. A lot of women at the church have leadership roles here, director, you know, roles, as you mentioned, trustee roles, but we, we haven't had a woman pastor yet. Um, Is there... Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Is there, can, can you shed some light as to why perhaps that might be? It's not been intentional. Um, and I would say that it's probably going to be um, not the case soon. Um, in fact, I'm in conversation with uh, several women now about the possibility of pursuing ordination to serve in a pastoral role here with the title pastor as attached to it, whether it's teaching pastor or something else, or um, uh, so we have no issues with that. It, it, you know, it's funny. It's just, um, a lot of times here at MEC, we just never stop to think about it. I mean, because we're, we're, we, there's such an openness to women in ministry doing everything that it's not like anybody's kind of waving a flag saying, Hey, why aren't there women doing this? Cause women are doing everything. And so it's not been something that we've ever like been an issue internally for us. Um, and, but you also, you're always looking at three things coming together, gifting, calling, and are they receptive to functioning in that role? And we just haven't had all three of those come together or need, desire. 
so we've just never had all of that come together. I mean, I can easily point to people that, you know, if I'd ordain them in a heartbeat and or look at people now and, and I'm in conversations now that I would eagerly do that. So it hasn't been intentional. It's certainly not going to be uh, long lasting. Um, but I will say we have women functioning, functioning pastorally now. It's just lack the formality of an ordination. Sure. Well, and I, I was curious, like, I, I imagine there are people who are listening to this who specifically when you're mentioning the senior pastor idea, I find that really intriguing of having a male senior pastor or, um, but maybe their church structure doesn't lend to one sole person kind of at the head. Like they may have a group of elders or a group of, you know, a, a, another a group of pastors. And so how would that principle apply to a group of people? Is it whatever the highest body of the position at the church, they would all need to be male or can you flesh that out a little bit? Where, where ultimate authority rests, I would argue biblically should be male exclusive. Um, and just whether I like it or not, I mean, I'm not into it for, because I know that's easily said, if you're a man, you know, I, but I get no pleasure out of it and I don't get anything fulfilling out of it. I just don't know how else to fulfill the biblical imperatives that we have to fulfill. Um, as I understand them. And I know that others understand it differently. And I, I'm, to me, it's not an issue that I'm, you know, we're going to have a bloodbath over um, or break fellowship over. Um, so I, I would say like, so like, for example, someone could say, well, could like keep playing with it. What if you're in like a bishop system where you've got a bishop that's male exclusive overseeing multiple churches? Could some of those women be pastors? I would say, yeah, I mean, you can keep fulfilling. I mean, the thing is to fulfill somehow with integrity this idea of the order of the home and of the church in terms of how God has given men and women different roles. And so however you can do that, I think there's there's going to be different uh, ecclesiastical options, but I think it's the spirit of it that you're trying to fulfill. And I, I can see it fleshing itself out in a number of ways. Well, I think in contemporary culture, we can get so help, so much, so very held up on the title and forget the role. And so exactly. I think, I do think it's important to realize that pastors, like that term is not the only form of leadership within a church. Like you can have, you know, female, pa you can, I think to have a female pastor just for the sake of having that, but then leave women out of, you know, other important functioning decisions of the church would really be to miss the point that there are other ways that you could include women in positions of authority um, that doesn't have to have the title of a, of a pastor. Would you agree with that? I would. And quite frankly, there's a part of me that's a little suspect of anyone, male or female, who craves the title. And that's what's important to them, uh, as opposed to with a towel over their arm functioning as a servant. So, um, but yes, I think that every leader, male or female, needs to uh, uh, enable people to be around the table that need to be black, white, male, female, younger, older. Um, and uh, that takes intentionality. Diversity always takes intentionality. It doesn't happen naturally. Um, it, it's just, it doesn't. It has to be intentional. And so you're constantly looking around speaking of women, uh, I need to be, and I think I, I, I do, I, I think I've got a track record on this that women on our staff would agree with, that I very much love and affirm women as leaders and encourage that gift and teaching gift among women uh, and uh, get them around the table for leadership decisions uh, as much, if not more than men. And so, um, and the way we do that at Mac, one of the ways that I do that at Mac, and this is something a little unique, it could be later podcast, maybe, but we don't have a standing leadership team, like a management team. We used to, but we don't. I, 
we moved to more of a, a kind of an organic kind of um, familiar, familiar some with how Apple or Google kind of does things. What I do is that whenever there's a decision to be made, um, I just get the right people around the table that are able to best inform that decision. And it changes with every major decision or thing we're grappling with. And so uh, we, um, so uh, that's constantly changing. And, and again, those are great opportunities to make sure that you're also having diversity around the leadership table. Hmm. I feel like there are some people who could listen to this and feel like, okay, we got to add some women in ministry because that's like the appropriate politically correct, correct thing to do. But I feel like that, again, that also misses the point of there is like a, I would say a, a great benefit to church life for women to be, you know, honored or respected, you know, for, um, positions of authority as well. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like that it's not just something you have to do, but that no, I, I would, I would think that. it's something that you would want to do and, and, and yearn to do, for example, um, you know, you know, uh, when, or if, for example, you ever become ordained, you're already functioning as a teaching pastor in our midst. And, and, and it, you have that teaching gift and it's been affirmed by this church. And, um, and you're getting ready to lead a weekend series here soon for us. And, and you're, you're just, you are a teaching pastor, whether you're ordained for it or not. And we both know that. And we've talked about that. Um, it does the church well to hear your voice in, and not just mine. Not just because you're a woman, but also because of your age and your perspectives and who God made you to be and who he gifted you to be. And I, I just find that everybody brings different leadership things to the table. And I think it's up to the senior leader, whoever they may be, is, is a way of, of affirming women, putting women in positions of honor, showing respect um, and appreciation for them and their ministry that just, you, you know, you establish that culture, you establish that tone in the life of the church. And, um, and so if anybody would ever say anything derogatory about somebody serving in leadership because they're a woman, uh, they'd have to deal with me. <laughs> um, well, I, I want to just point out, and maybe I'm, I'm sensitive to this as being a woman too. I mean, I'll be, I'll be, um, honest there, but I do think that a, a particular part of this conversation that's often missing, maybe, maybe more on the, on women's side of this is maybe this misconception that what the goal really is, is to um, free ourselves from submission, because I think that's a little bit misguided because submission is a deeply biblical idea. And so if that's the motivation of we should do it because we can do it, um, I think if you try to remove yourself or make submission the enemy, like that can, you can get in really deep or dark places there. So can you give a distinction in terms of the type of submission that God does ask of us as of all believers versus the type of submission that God does not ask of? Oh, great question. Ephesians five is one of the most misunderstood passages in scripture where it talks about women submitting to men and, you know, and, and men leading and uh, that oh, the whole parenting family dynamic package you find in Ephesians five. Whenever I've taught on that, I, I, I actually look forward to teaching on it because I, I always want to blow up the idea of submission that exists in men's minds and women's minds. With, with a lot of men, it might be, hey, sweetie, go grab me a beer while I have my feet propped up. You're to submit to me or we're going to do it this way and you just have to shut up and take it. Um, or even more awful, dark types of submission that I, I've always exposed where um, women feel like they have to be uh, submissive to abuse. Um, I'll tell you right now, I, I think that uh, spousal abuse 
is grounds for biblical divorce because it's forced separation. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biblical grounds for divorce. And when anybody teaches that a woman should submit to certain things, no, Any, nothing that puts you at harm, puts your children at harm, that forces you to flee or separate, that's biblical grounds for divorce. Anyway, so what is submission? Submission, if, if you read Ephesians 5, it's mutual submission. It's everybody submitting to everybody. A woman submitting to a, a man in terms of leadership, uh, a man submitting to his wife in sacrificial love akin to Jesus. And the greater submission really is on men because we're told to love our wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He stretched out his arms and had them, uh, his hands pierced and he died. And so if a man is going to lovingly lead his wife as complete servant, as someone who's dying to himself for this person, you know, as I've often heard women say, if, if I had a husband do that, I would gladly submit to his leadership because all he cares about is loving me and what's best for me and what's best for our family. And so it's everybody submitting to everybody in this economy. And it's a beautiful picture. Um, you know, in, in essence, God says, look, uh, every business needs a leader. Every something needs a leader. Every family needs a leader. And I'm asking him to do it. I'm asking you to submit to it. And I'm having him love you so foolishly that there should be, you know, it should be a joy for you and, and all the kids. And also, you know, if he's loving you completely, he's always bringing you in on things and making decisions mutually. And he might have to make some final calls, but he's going to do it on his knees and he's going to do it dripping with love for the family and what's best. And I think that's a beautiful picture. And like you said, submission is not something that's a four letter word. It becomes a vision, a target on the wall of how a functional family works. Hmm. I think that's such a great way to end this conversation, just keeping that biblical vision in mind. So, um, but we're out of time. So again, Jim, thank you so much for fleshing this out and thank you for your heart towards this. And I hope this serves um, our listeners and we hope you guys will join us again next week. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.